Welcome to the 20th episode of Strange Assembly, the hopefully short, all Kote, all the time episode, except when we're talking about Nightfall. This is Chris Stevenson. I'm here with Jay Earl. Hello. And we're going to talk about the Kote story, the Kote metagame, and first we're going to kick that discussion off by announcing our winner for the Empire at War metagame prediction contest. Do you think you won, Jay? No, I I picked randomly, so random should not win. Well, luckily the completely random people did not actually win, but you were better than many. Well, let's skip ahead to the other side of the break and find out. And we're back. I always think it's helpful to start out an analysis of the new environment by looking at the old environment. So let's briefly just run down what was good and not in the Empire War environment, at least by clans. The best performing clan was, again, Lion. Surprise, surprise. Followed by Crab, and then Scorpion, Dragon, Mantis, Crane, and Unicorn, Spider, and Phoenix bringing up the rear. Uh, They were, relatively speaking, all close together. The Empire at War environment beat out the prior champion, the Plague War environment, at being, I think, the most balanced L5R environment ever as far as all the different clans having the ability to win. I mean, the clan that was ninth that I just listed won worlds in the Empire at War environment. Yeah, you sort of wonder if there might be a correlation there in that they won worlds, so a bunch of people who didn't know how to play the deck bandwagoned into them, bringing their making the cut numbers down because they didn't make the cut, they were bandwagoning. I don't know. I think we had some discussion at some point about how we just have no clue yeah, we, why we Phoenix really, doesn't do better. If someone could explain why Phoenix isn't good, I would love to hear it. It makes no sense whatsoever. But uh, we did have a contest for the Empire at War metagame to predict it in advance. Uh, there were two people who tied first. One of them was Justin Purdy, one of the cast members here, so he doesn't count. And the second was a listener, Hendrick. So he wins the contest. He gets a free rare set of Arbinger. And as soon as he lets us know where we need to mail that to, we'll get it out to him. So congratulations to Hendrick. Other people who did better than the crowdsourced entry were John Freeman, uh, listeners Doji, Kyoshi, and Vecness, and UJ. Well, technically you did Yay. the same as the the crowdsource entry. O- oddly enough, the crowdsource entry, which is just the I figured out what the average position for each clan was, and you know, it bust all the entries and then sorted it out, did substantially better than 
if you just took the average score of, of each listener. So apparently there was more wisdom in the aggregate than in uh, most of the individuals. But let's take that over to the dead of winter environments, and we'll just do my boring old alphabetically crab. What do you expect to see crab coming out with in this art, in this environment? Uh, honestly, uh, my big expectation for crab is because of hunting the daughter and the prevalence we're going to see of control decks, I expect crab to be playing a lot of scouts. I don't expect exclusively scouts, but a lot of scouts. Exclusively Shattered Peaks Castle, but not exclusively scouts. Yes, I think it's probably not the right move to uh, play anything but Shattered Peaks Castle. Crab, last Cote season, had a little bit of success with scouts. It's generally been a disfavored deck type among crab players. Most of the decks have been uniques plus heroes or uniques plus berserkers. Berserkers did get another solid piece in their kind of controly berserker, and heroes also got something. So, well, I think scouts is a good metagame position because it's got some elements that you mentioned that make it good against the control and dishonor that we expect to see. I don't know how much people will switch over to that deck when they're used to playing these bigger unit decks unless scouts comes out and does early and then you know if, if it if it comes out and takes kote then people will will switch to it so uh, and i think those other decks could potentially have problems against uh, more controlist decks on the other hand at least heroes and berserkers don't need to invest in attachments to make super units you know, you're really in pain when you pay gold for your guy and then pay gold for a big attachment and then they just get locked down. Right. So I, I think that Crab were a deck that was in a good position and they seem to have picked up some key pieces that could help them stay there. Right. I mean, I, I honestly would not be that surprised to see a few hero or berserker decks that splash in a handful of scouts just for hunting the daughter for the meta usage. Yeah, well, don't you have to have recon, though, for hunting the daughter? It's hard to just randomly splash that sort of thing in. Well, all the... Oh, oh you have to bow your scout if yeah. you didn't uh, have recon. So, I think it's hard to splash that in. I mean, you're not going to be able to splash in a couple of scouts and splash in the recon actions unless you just well, choose the scout that have the recon. I, I mean, you're... Yeah, I mean, uh, when I say splash in, I'm thinking, like, two different scouts in triple kit. I don't know what off the top of my head, but I'm sure you've got two or three scouts that could go into a deck fairly easily that have a built-in recon. Yeah. And, I mean, even just bowing bowing for hunting the daughter in a, in a hero or berserker deck, you, you can You don't care because you have... <laughs> <laughs> right, Shattered you've already Peak got plenty Castle. of force. Yeah, you've got Shared Peak Castle. You've already got a bunch of force. If you're using Hunting the Daughter, you're probably not got no defense stopping you. So, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not saying it'll be in every deck, but I would not be surprised to see a lot of non-scout crab decks splash in some 
a few scouts just for hunting the daughter. I think it's that good. Yeah, and you do have at least a couple of non-unique crab scouts who have recon actions. The older scout who gives everybody, messes with everybody's force there, and then the new Toritaka who creates his little spirit buddy. Yeah. Um... Let's see, we also have Crane. They obviously got a new stronghold. Everybody's very excited about Embassy of the Crane, Honor, Dishonor, Switch, Artisans, whatnot. There seem to be like a variety of, of good options along that front. I would expect to see most Crane being Embassy or Sevenfold, just because that's what Crane want to play, and both of those decks got some nice bo- excuse me, some nice boosts in the last set or two, whereas their scout build did not get nearly as obvious build de- um, boosts. Though Trevor has a really nasty attacking dual deck. I just don't see that coming up that often. Yeah, I don't think if any if people haven't picked up on that yet, they won't. Uh, people have also talked about trying to play Super Friends out of Embassy of the Crane. You you have good economy because the Embassy is itself a market, so the market right, you have Jade Works kicks in, and then just the higher family honor means you go first against everything, and you have four gold production, unlike Lion, but. I looked at that a little bit, and it does have some built-in advantages, but even the Super Friends decks, as we've talked about before, you you only get so many uniques, and when you look at the actual crane, they're like one scary military unique. Well, I mean, I I think the fact is, the crane Super Friends is going to be a dueling deck, so at that point, play, uh, play the dueling stronghold. Sure, you're going second against Lion. Sure, you're now die roll against Phoenix and other Crane players. But having a proactive battle ability you can use and losing a tiny bit of the economy, it, it, it makes a better deck. Your personality support just starts to run out. I mean, the deck isn't just the handful of out-of-clan uniques that are really nice. But still, Crane, even before which seems like a really big boost. Crane was a middle-of-the-pack clan, so they certainly aren't going to be less than that. The the only thing I could see is they could theoretically drop insofar as you could have a lot of people jump onto the Crane Dishonor deck, and if you do it wrong, it's not a good deck. I mean, it's it's if you try to make that a Switch Honor-Dishonor deck, you're probably going to lose to straight honor or dishonor deck i disagree on that i think that one of the i was actually going to say one of the strengths of the crane either switch or playing dishonor out of embassy of the crane is that you can both drill the other guy for a solid amount of honor loss and gain honor yourself and i think if you're playing that against a straight up dishonor your own honor gains mean you're going to win true Maybe maybe I have that backwards. Maybe it's that you're losing to the military because you're now too slow. Yeah, well... Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, you, you do have to make choices. I don't know if there's any one obvious right it's built for you, Bill, just because all those crane personalities with courtiers and artisans and duelists and all this, you know, some of it is only on or loss, some of it's only on or gain, some of it's both. 
there's no just one deck. You gotta really figure out what to build there. So that could be something that takes a while to gel as the right deck, depending on how quickly people start winning and how free people the winner those winners are with their deck lists. Right. I mean, again, it, my feeling is it's a really easy deck to build poorly. I mean, it's a strong deck if you build it well, but it's easy to build poorly. And if you don't focus one way or the other, you'll have the problem where you get to the end of the game and you're at 30 honor and they're at negative 10 honor and you can't really push either way successfully and so you lose because they come and crush your provinces. So I I think if you focus on one or the other, you could be very successful, but trying to do both at the same time is going to leave you too, too split. Now, Dragon, a clan that definitely experienced a drop-off in the Empire at War environments, still an upper-half clan, but not the terror that some people still consider them uh, out of Last Step Castle. Last Step, I don't think, got much for its typical decks. Kitsuki Bakoku wants to play a little more aggressively than that deck usually has. And so Reign of Justice seems like the most obvious pickup. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't feel like Dragon really got anything huge in this set. So I I feel like they're going to drop. Also, their their strongest deck, Last Step Castle, I don't know that it will do very well against the Crane decks. Yeah, I would be concerned about that as well. Kensei, which has just not been anywhere close to a tournament successful deck, got a really good unique and a eh, non-unique. You know, a lot of people got very excited about a thousand cuts technique. The more I have played with a thousand cuts technique, the less impressed I have been. It is so hard to use. Well, it's one of those things... It's so amazing when you pull it off, and so your opponent is like, oh man, you totally killed me, but they don't see the other five games where it's in your, it's a dead card in your hand because you can't do it. Yes, that's very true. I, I remember that used to come up with some of the, the strike cards when Dragon had that strike chain Yeah. years and years ago. It's like, well, yeah, you see it when I pull it off and jack up three of your guys, you don't see it's, the, yeah, the other amazing. games where the rest of it's stuck in my hand. Right. I mean, playing Enlightenment, that comes up all the time, where if I win, my opponent's like, oh man, that was amazing, you totally enlightened me. They don't see the other four games where I'm stuck with rings that I have absolutely no way of playing. (laughs) Uh, Monks, though, did get some decent stuff. Monks did get a harpoon. Uh, If you haven't used your Pillars of Virtue reaction, it's a good harpoon. They got the free route. Tagashi Shiori is an excellent, unique. You can bring in Wotan. He's pretty good. He shows no mercy. He shows no mercy. With with Akamoto, you at least maybe have the option of putting Breath of Heaven back into a deck because you have <laughs> well, you can have no. two guys who come into play, two guys who are playable and and come into play, or, or maybe even three if you go back to the. The guy who pumps himself from fire tokens. But there's at least the option. 
I don't think that's the way you go, though. I think that what you're doing with Dragon, and what I would do at Cote <laughs> at the start of the season, which isn't an option because we're running it, not playing in it, is a unique focused deck. You know, a third of the personalities are just good uniques from whatever. And then going out of Pillars of Virtue and filling the rest out with with monks. Because that's, I think, where dragons got more sizzle than in the Kensei. And so, sort of the grown-up version of the deck you guys had last year that was the Blitz out of pillar, blitz dueling out of pillars of your virtue. Now instead of using boxables, you're using strong uniques. No, I think the more like the decks that. I guess this one would be more like the deck that Greg ran last year at Gen Con, where which was basically good uniques and monks, and and Case ran good uniques and weapons, uh, with some Kensei, and, and I think that is the sort of thing that you're looking at. There are good weapons you can play if you want to have that. You don't go really go that much into Kensei because you don't want to tie yourself down the weapons. There's a lot of good other attachments. There's not a lot of incentive to play Kensei specifically other than 100-fold cuts. Uh, Yari Jutsu just requires a weapon. It doesn't care if you have a Kensei. Right. But I think the monks have just had a lot more juice, and the monks can play with those three Oyosetos not only our Dishonor meta, but they also then give you a really solid base to enable Sohei's Duty, right. which is an, an excellent card, and Shiori has now given you another good personality to use with that. But I, I do ultimately have to agree with you that I don't see how Dragon could go up after Dead of Winter gets added in. Although... The one, uh, I guess, technically local tournament I've seen a result for, the, the event that they played the day after the level 15 event in Toulouse, a dragon deck of some sort won. Mm. Let's see, Lion. Lion has won Celestial Edition so far. They didn't seem like they got much this set, but that's also seemed true last the set. last three sets, matter. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lion didn't really get much, and I, I think that we're going to see a lot of Dishonor this Kote season, which Lion is fairly strong against. And sure, they're going to be confused that they've now got Bamboo Harvesters in play, but I think they'll figure it out fairly quickly and be happy they've got another guy because of it now. Yeah, I, I think that the Lion decks will largely be the same decks that they have, and they have another Cavalry option now. If they want, there's a another good Paragon unique, but I don't know if that's enough to pull them into to Paragons. I, I think the one downside of the meta a game against them is that I still think that it does matter that they get stuck going second against Embassy of the Crane. Honor decks hate to go second against military decks. It's a huge advantage that Lion has, usually in an environment that has a lot of defensive decks in it is that they, or defensive honor decks in it is they always get to go first. And they don't have that against the Embassy of the Crane. But still, it always, you know, I when we did the Empire at War prediction, I was like, okay, I've, I've got to move somebody down. I'll, let's, let's 
let's move the lion down. They didn't really get anything. That just beat me up in my rankings for my predictions. So it's it's just hard to pick against the lion. Sure. Mantis. What do you got the Mantis doing? I don't know. I mean, they got the new box. It's got some scary tricks it can do. Southern Blockade is annoying as hell. But Trevor has convinced me that it can't win against Dishonor, so I don't know. I don't know that I... I don't know how much I trust Trevor statements when he says that Mantis decks can't hack it. Okay, granted, Trevor is made of hyperbole, but still... I don't know. I I hear that a lot about a variety of different decks against how you can't hack it against Mantis, which I believe is also the official reason for why you can't play Thunder. Yeah. And I, I still think that you just have so many options with that deck, and I think it may also attract uh, solid players. You've still got good commanders to play with, or just, you know, some commander stuff, but I guess primarily good stuff out of Dragon's Guard City uh, that you can keep on trotting out there. Mantis has been a middle-of-the-pack clan, and again, I don't know how much they necessarily can move down even if you don't think that economic warfare is going to be an amazing deck it, it's not bad well no it's not bad I just yeah I, I, don't th- I don't know that it necessarily gives them enough boost in the environment to really push them up any I mean I I sort of expect Manus to sort of to mostly stay where they are though they I could I could see them rising just on the back of Trevor, if nothing else. And... <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much, beyond Reign of Justice, I, I wonder how many of the random Magistrate cards that have the you gain two honor or the other guy loses two honor, you can have in the Mantis Magistrate deck where you don't necessarily you don't really normally care, benefit disusing, from those. Right, you're just using against, Yeah, when you're playing against a Dishonor or Honor deck, it's in there. Phoenix. Ugh. We didn't know what was up with Phoenix before. I don't know how we're supposed to know what's up with Phoenix now. Yeah, no, I I have no idea. We got some cool things in the set, but we weren't doing that well with what we had before, and we had cool things before, so yeah, I just don't know. Yeah, and the coolest things in this set for Phoenix seem to pull towards the Inquisitor. Yeah, and I don't know if that without a box to support it, that doesn't seem like it's up to being able to compete with other dishonor decks or or probably even honor decks, even if it might be able to hold off military pretty well. Yeah, I I don't know. So I, I have a hard time pushing Phoenix up without they they didn't seem to pick up a bunch they've they've been doing badly with what they have now so i mean you do have chiba gohiko he's pretty great but he's only one guy right and only one deck scorpion i maybe rated them a little highly in empire at war but that was in my sad and pathetic guesses about the empire at war environment (laughs) that was one place where 
I guess was a relative high point for me is that I thought that Scorpion were going to do really well, and they did, and certainly we expect that to continue, right? I don't know. They got some nice things, but at the same time, I feel like I feel like most of the Scorpion are going to try to go Dishonor, Passive Dishonor. So they're going to run into the dual problem of there's a lot of Crane Passive Dishonor, and I feel like Scorpion Dishonor is going to lose to Crane Dishonor because Crane Dishonor can gain honor. Meanwhile, because there's both Scorpion and Crane Dishonor in the environment, there's going to be more meta for the Dishonor match, which will hurt the Scorpion Dishonor. So I don't know that they'll necessarily get bumped up simply because while they got stuff, other people got stuff to hurt them. Yeah, well, but isn't that something that we've talked about before is you don't have a lot of meta options against Dishonor. You've got Oyo Sato. You can play with the event that gains you three honor every time you take a province. I mean, you don't have an event that you can resolve that just, like you do against honor, where you can just shut down all honor losses for a right. turn or. I'm gonna new order. So, yeah, I'm gonna new order, so I have to. You have to take me to negative thirty to lose. No. Yeah, but still, lots and lots of options they picked up. They also picked up a variety of options for their ninja deck. Another follower, another set of pretty solid actions to choose between maybe not great personalities, but at least one excellent unique. True. I mean, I think their ninja deck got a nice boost. I think... I don't know that Scorpion players will do this, because I think a lot of them want to play Passive Dishonor, but I think if they do play ninja, that'll be a much more successful deck for them to be playing. Well, except, of course, Ninja is one of those decks that people... Basically, anything that doesn't have Samurai or Cordia written on the cards, people would generally consider to be bad against Dishonor. So True, except for if if the Ninja gets going fast enough, it's got the box to let it shut down whatever it is you want to do to keep the, the control deck from getting any people. That can be a pain. It can be frustrating as the... Especially when you get to those last couple of provinces and it's really important to get that one guy in there and then you can't border keep into him either. Right. Scorpion can't say that's... Nobody's going to play that still, right? I doubt it. Yeah. Spider. I think Spider actually feels like Crab to some way. All of their existing decks are out of one box. Mm-hmm. They've all been variants on each other. Breeder plus this, Breeder plus that. Uh, there is now a new deck type, uh, this case Sohei, that I think can break out of that mold a little bit. But this new deck type also gets a new good stronghold, which the Crab Scouts don't have. True. Yeah, I don't know. Spider is another one that's just hard to gauge how they're going to do just because they got such a big shakeup. It's hard to guess. I, I just don't know. Well, I think Spider can only go up. They ended up doing pretty poorly. They were very they were very breeder based. They got met at a bunch. So I guess they could have some upside from people not packing breeder meta, except. There were also a decent number of cheapy guys out of Scorpion and Crane. Yeah, that... I mean, 
as somebody pointed out, the meta is not for the future. The meta is for the past. I think people are still afraid of Breeder. I think you're still going to see a lot of Breeder meta. So I, I agree. Th- I, I think it will be good that Spider have a new deck that is not vulnerable to the same meta as Breeder was. I mean, I, th- I think that the Monk Sohei deck might be more more successful than a Breeder deck simply because it doesn't have that same meta weakness. Yeah. Although, again, you know, people are just maybe just automatically dump that into the O. Oh, it's bad against Dishonor because my guys can't spook. Although you can. Well, that's you, true in Breeder too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just Spider. I guess that's the thing. Yeah, Spider generally is traditionally a very good matchup for Dishonor to run into. And the Sohei, like the Dragon Monks, can play with Sohei's Duty. Right. They, they can they play can... with Oyo Sato and Temple, Temple of Redemption and whatever else. They got a good box. They got a good new personality. They get access to no pure breaths. They have, they have no no pure breaths, which is really good. I don't think they're going to need to use any of the new Kensei stuff. But last is Unicorn. Unicorn was a lower tier clan in the Empire at War environment. They have a, an array of decent stuff, I guess. They got a little bit of a contribution into Battle Maidens. Battle Maidens, that's a lot of personal honor. You can actually have a decent number of guys who are immune to magistrate actions. Yeah, I mean, for many of the same reasons that Lion does, Battle Maidens has good matchups against Dishonor. They're high personal honor, attacking deck. So, the, I mean, they, they do have a chance, if the field is largely Dishonor, to do relatively well against that, but... Yeah, I mean, we just haven't seen Unicorn performing well for a while, so... Another advantage that Unicorn have is that, just like defensive decks don't like to go second, they don't like their opponents taking provinces without the chance to defend. Defensive honor decks and defensive dishonor decks want to be able to defend a little bit early to cause honor losses, to get people dishonored or, or whatever, and... You don't have the option to do that early against Unicorn. Or at least not against well, the traditional Unicorn deck. There's that, but on the other hand, the passive, those passive Honor and Dishonor decks are much more likely to be packing presenceless defense. Yeah, one Outer Walls can ruin your whole day. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's our scatterbrained and pointless take on everything, so I guess we Really could... uninformed opinions... Yes, I guess we can finish this up by doing our entries in the Dead of Winter metagame prediction contest. Of course, for all our listeners, you can still come online, come onto the forums at www.strangeassembly.com slash forum, post your entry. You just have to rank the clans in order from 1 to 9, how well you think they're going to do in Kote season. It's in the, the Dead of Winter meta game, but I, I think that and Kote season will be exactly the same thing. You have to post your entry before the first Kote start, and that's Saturday, February 26th when they start, so make sure you get on before then. Success is measured by the ability to put decks into the cut or put players into the cuts. 
why don't you go ahead and do yours, Jay? Okay, so my Ouija board told me uh, first crane, second crab, third lion, fourth mantis, fifth spider, sixth scorpion, seven dragon, eight phoenix, and last but not least, unicorn. Well, I suppose technically in this case, last and least, unicorn. <laughs> okay. Well, last time I dealt with Lion and I said, well, I've learned my lesson. Something has to drop. So I dropped Lion and then I was wrong. So this time I'm going to not repeat my mistakes. I'm going to make new and different mistakes. And I'm just going to go ahead and keep Lion at number one, uh, which will probably doom them. Sorry, Lion. I will go ahead and put Crane seconds. I think that they have a good deck that a lot of people have a lot of interest in, and I think that will power them to some nice success. Third, I will put Crab. I think they continue to have metagame advantages. I'm not sure how quickly they'll adapt to some of the the changes versus sticking with their existing decks, but I think they've still got some really solid things. I'll put Scorpion fourth. They, I don't think they'll do as badly as you think they will, but I think that they'll mostly stay where they are because I think Crane has the upper hand in that matchup, and I think that, uh, like you said earlier, Jay, there will be additional honor, uh, sorry, dishonor meta out there, so while they got a lot, the other people will gain a bit more. Fifth, I will choose Mantis. They definitely got some nice new stuff. It's a completely different sort of deck. I think they have a lot of options. I'm not sure what they'll end up with. Uh, some of their options do have less than stupendous matchups against Dishonor, although perhaps not as bad as Trevor thinks. I certainly don't see how they could move down from where they were, but they didn't enhance they didn't get a bunch of enhancement for their existing song dra- strong deck so I'll stick them at 5 starting at 6 I guess I have the clans that I start to feel like are the uh, I guess the losers as it were of the dead of winter and uh at number 6 I'll put the dragon I think I think we talked about most of Dragon's decks didn't feel like they got a lot. Last Up Castle is going to continue to slip. Kensei is not capable of winning tournaments. And the Monks definitely picked up some solid stuff, but there were always concerns about the Monks versus Dishonor, although I still think that's the most solid way for Dragon to go. Next, I will put Spider... I think that they'll get a little bit of an uptick because they can they have the ability to get out from under the breeder meta that has been pinning them down with the new Sohei deck and I think that a lot of people are interested in that deck and will switch to playing it. Eight, I will stick Unicorn. So at the bottom if I'm looking at Unicorn and Phoenix 
Unicorn were doing better than Phoenix. I think that Unicorn got more than Phoenix did. I think Unicorn have some advantages that they can take against the defensive Dishonor decks, especially with Battle Maidens. So I'll leave them at 8, and then Phoenix 9. Okay, sounds good. Why don't we uh, let and wait and see how the results actually turn out before we start calling things good. Okay, but remember, guys, come on to strangeassembly.com slash forum. Make your picks. Remember, we, we don't know what we're talking about, and neither do, do you probably, so it's all good. We'll just all laugh in five months or six months at our, our foolishness. Incompetence, yeah. How amazingly bad we all can be. I think that's it for talking about the metagame, unless you had something else you wanted to chime in with, Jay. All right, and then on the other side of the break, we'll talk about the just-announced Kote storyline. Well, at long last, we finally know what the storyline for this Kote is for this Kote season is going to be. For the third year in a row, we're going to have a variant of the external invader is smashing Rokugan, and there's going to be a week by week moving through the territory of the Empire. Yeah, though I, I do like though. In, in past years, with the, it's been, okay, every Kote gets a region known from the start, and you're that's it. I like that this one, as things progress, it's going to get more or less territory based on the previous weeks. Yes, the, the story, for those who haven't read the announcement, is that Kali Ma is smashing her way through, or is trying to smash her way through Scorpion provinces. Each winner of a Kote will have the choice between helping or not. Uh, What it amounts to is you can choose to help defend whatever that territory is. Oh, oh. I meant help attack the Scorpion. (laughs) Don't you want to do that? I did see someone complain that you didn't have the option of helping Kali Ma attack the Scorpion. And it wasn't even Kevin. But no, you, you have the option basically of Choosing any living personality aligned to your clan and getting the fiction for that week that's about defending the Scorpion Territories featuring that personality, or you can choose something off a list. They posted the first list. I guess there's going to be three. The next ones are going to be posted on February 21st and February 22nd, so... Let's face it, by the time I finish editing this and posting it up, you'll probably have read at least one of those lists. <laughs> I mean, I, I would hope that, like, in the, the last time they did this, they'll use the list to fill in, put some new interesting ones in later in Kote season after all the good stuff is taken. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. There are 50 Kote. There are... Let's see how many things are on this list... There's me. I don't think there's 14 or 15 on the one list that's up. It's called Prestige. I don't know what the other two lists are going to be or the two categories of choices. But 
man, the Scorpion can be in trouble. Players like picking things off of lists. Yes, they do. And players don't care much for Scorpion. It, it's kind of phrased in the Kote write-up as choosing glory for yourself now in helping the Empire or glory for your clan later, but don't help the Empire except we already know that the Empire is going to achieve costly victory against Kalimaw. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not the results of this determine whether or not Kalimaw finds the Black Scroll, I guess, is the doodad she's looking for in Scorpion Lands. That's what we've been yeah, assuming. Yeah, ever since... Oh, that's right. Ever since the Phoenix realized that the Scorpion had opened a Black Scroll... Those bastards stole it from us. ...and you an yeah. open Black Scroll in return. But you remember back when you guys had the Hidden City and nobody could steal any of your secret stuff because they didn't even know that it was there? Oh, we still have that. You just don't know about it because we don't want you guys stealing it again. <laughs> yeah, you're apparent. We, like, we have like 15 hidden cities. We're just not telling anybody because then you guys would come and blow them up yes, and loot them. Yes, here comes the Uchiban again. Yeah, we're, we're not letting that happen again. So We're not anybody. Yeah, so... I'm not even sure if Sean has been told about these. <laughs> So what did you think of the lists that are on the, or sorry, the choices that are on the list we have so far? They do seem a bit monotonous. Yeah, it's, it's a bit monotonous. There are some really cool ones. I would love to have a former hero elevated to the position of minor fortune. I want Akune to get to hang out with his mom. That would be awesome. At the other time, being one of the eight abbots... Uh, just not that exciting. And we don't know what this is going to be. We don't know if it's going to be a keyword slapped on a future car. We don't know if it's going to be a story mention. I mean, maybe if one of the other lists has Costello of Benton Sido and they can hang out, but... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, one that I do like that's a bit obscure that's on the list is to reclaim the Blood White Stone from the goblins. The, the Blood White Stone is a Zokujin artifact that was stolen from them ages ago, I think. There are some Zokujin who think it will herald a return to their civilization, and it's obscure enough that I bet that many of our listeners don't even know what a Zokujin is, because they don't really show up much in the story. Right. Wasn't that part of the Oni's Eye? Or I don't I have up? any recollection of what really the... Bl- I, I, you know, it's in some RPG book that I have. Or, but, uh, yeah, the, the Zokujin are these little reptiles. They were one of the, the five races ages ago, along with the, you know, the Kitsu and the Kenku. And they... Ningyo. Yeah, well, they were, they were long thought to be mindless, the unicorn. Not the unicorn, the lion actually keep many of them as slaves. Are they? I don't, are they still in the art for copper mine? They used to be in the art for copper mine. Yeah, they were art for a while. I don't think they are currently, but they they were for a but long time. There have been one or two dragon clan aligned Zokujin. They've all been terrible, I think. But yeah, the the only uh, card set that is less pronounceable than the <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, but that. That would be nice, I think, for a Dragon Clan player to be able to reclaim the, for, to have the Dragon Clan reclaim the Blood White Stone and return it 
to the Zoku Gen. I I don't know what everybody anybody other other clan does with it. I mean, maybe they just give it to the Zoku Gen too. We'd studied it because it sounds you'd awesome. You'd lock it up, study it for a few centuries, and uh, decide it was too much of a and threat to a give few. to the Zoku Gen. <laughs> no, 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 we make a few. <laughs> So I guess we're still waiting to see what the other things on the list are. And maybe the Scorpion will get lucky and there will be uh, different things. And maybe people will get motivated. Or I guess if people get motivated, the stories could actually get a little bit monotonous. Because if people keep choosing to defend the Scorpion lands, then Kalima never advances. And so... Right. Well, hopefully for the Scorpion, those fictions from the first week of anyone who chooses to defend will be so awesome that people will pick to defend this, this, the, the land to get the awesome stories like that. And I think that's what a lot of it will be. There, there will be people who just always want to defend the Empire, even if it right. you know, may not matter in a point sort of way, and then people who want to get some awesome fiction right away. Right, exactly. I mean, there are going to be people that are going to pick to defend the Emperor no matter what. You could choose defend the Emperor or get the Emperor, be the Emperor, and they'll choose defend. But other people are going to see, ooh, shiny list with cool things, or defend the Scorpion. I'm going to go shiny list. But if they get awesome fiction for defending, they might go jump to defending instead of the yeah. list. So we'll, we'll see what actually happens. On the other hand, though, I mean, the last two Kote seasons worth of fictions where it's been this weekly sort of format, I mean, I guess the impression I've gotten is that players are kind of ambivalent about how they felt about those stories and how that was handled. And, and on one sense, they, they liked them a lot. On some other hand, they felt that they got, you know, monotonous or that they just felt like it was their guy getting plugged into an existing fiction. Generic story, yeah. And I know we've said this like three or four times now, man, players really do like picking off a list. I like picking off the list. I mean, I'd, I'd love to pick something off the list. Not that I'm going to win a Kote, because I'm maybe going to get to play in one. But uh, I'll tell you, yeah, unless, unless they've written some wicked fictions with the heroes... I, it's hard not to pick off a list, and I would even love to see... Because, uh, you know, if I win one of these things that I'm the pin of the Empire, Moreshi is going down there and kicking some tail. <laughs> I mean, and I, and I even have a guy I'd really like to see in fictions more, and even then, it's hard to resist if there's some, some good stuff left on the list. And it may depend on what's left on the list. Uh, if... If you're looking at this list, once become a fortune and reclaim the blood white stone, and maybe some of these martial art styles are gone, I don't well, think people are going to be jumping on the Abbott positions. No. I mean, I, I think that a lot of wanting to pick the list is the list is all unique, whereas getting the fiction, as you said, it becomes monotonous, it becomes the same thing. So I think once the three in here that are different are picked, the incentive to pick off the list when everything else is a master of martial arts or an abbot goes down significantly. Yeah, have we even heard of any of these uh, martial arts styles? 
have we heard of any martial arts styles? Yeah, there was the guy who chose to have there be like the Tanuki fighting style, and <laughs> of course. there's got to be some other stuff. I also don't know what the order of sanctification is, which is one of the abbot. It's, it's the abbot of the shrines to the seven fortunes, and then abbot of the monastic order of sanctification, and I don't know what that is. Okay, but that's the Kote season storyline. If you haven't read it already, on the 21st and 22nd, the AEG website or the L5R website should be updated with more information on those choices. The news is next. This is the Strange Assembly News Desk for February 22, 2011. As you already heard us discuss, the storyline for Kote 2011 is The Destroyer War. You can now visit L5R.com to check out all three lists of available story choices. There has been one storyline tournament, the Level 15 event in Toulouse, France. It was won by David Atali with Lion, whose first choice was Okoto Itoku. There have been three stories published since our last episode. The first was A Desperate Ruse by Brian Yoon, published February 11, 2011. It features the phoenix and the dragon confronting the dark oracle of fire, Tamori Chasai. Also, The Hunt for the Ebon Daughter, Part 1 by Nancy Sauer, published February 13, 2011. And The Hunt for the Ebon Daughter, Part 2 by Sean Carmen, published February 20, 2011, have been posted. These fictions feature the crab discovering, with the mantis's assistance, that the unicorn have been hampering their efforts to capture the Evan daughter, and then in part two, depict the actual capture of the Evan daughter. You may note that the story reports have been more brief lately. That basically amounts to me doing the news desk last and just wanting to get this off my desk. So please let me know if you found the longer story summaries to be valuable, and maybe I'll try to make more of an effort in the future. This is it for the L5R content of this episode of Strange Assembly. The rest of the episode is our review of the upcoming AEG game Nightfall. We hope you enjoy this additional content. On a final note... My show notes have baby spit up all over them. Is there anyone out there who has any idea how to get these little creatures to just keep their food in their stomachs? If you do, please let me know. Chris at strangeassembly.com. That's it for this news desk. See you next week. This is a Strange Assembly audio review. I'm Chris Stevenson, and with me is Jay Earl. Hello. We're here today to talk about the upcoming AEG game Nightfall. Nightfall is a deck-building game. It is published and distributed by Alderac Entertainment Group, and it is designed by David Gregg. 
It was originally, I think, an independent design by David that was picked up and enhanced with AEG's help. The box comes with, oh, 312-ish cards, something over 300 cards. Most of those are order cards, which are the cards that make up your deck. There are also wound cards that go in your deck and make you lose. And then there are the cards that you use to draft out which cards you're going to play with. It is a game in the deck-building genre, but I think you'd agree, Jay, that it does not play even remotely like the other deck-building games that are on the market. Not really, no. I mean, only insofar as you are building your deck, it really feels like a very different beast from those others like uh, Dominion or... Um, of course, blanking on other names. Thunderstone. Thank you, Thunderstone. <laughs> yes, those are the two big ones so far. Uh, Dominion by Rio Grande and Thunderstone also by AEG. The theme of Nightfall is that Eternal Night has come upon the Earth. The monsters are out in force and they're taking over. In this set, you primarily have vampires and werewolves and hunters. Although, I have to say that beyond the art and the card titles, I don't think that the theme has much uh, of a relationship to the mechanics of the game. It does insofar as your big attacker is probably a werewolf. I noticed most of the card draw were hunters. It wasn't like, oh, this is a hunter, so they do X. It was, again, that was sort of matching the theme. But I think, in talking about how the Nightfall game works, it's best to work your way backwards in the turn. The last thing you do in your turn is buying a card. Each card has an influence cost. You start the turn with two influence. Every card that you have left in your hand near the end of your turn, you can discard for an additional influence, and you can buy whatever you want. There's no, you can only buy exactly one thing. There's no figuring out exactly how many gold or coins that any particular card is worth. Uh, and there is that built-in two influence to kind of keep you adding and buying new things into your deck, even when you're using your hand to do other things. Right. I mean, I, I think the fact that pretty much everything, a lot of the cards cost two or three, so even if you play all of your hand or most of your hand, you're still able to buy a card each turn. Yeah, and it lets you do something with those wounds that clog up your deck. Right. Then going a little bit earlier in the turn is the core of the game, which is the chain phase. Uh, I think when I was talking earlier about what David Gregg had originally been designing, it was a project, I think he called it Chain Master, and it was expanded out to be what Nightfall is today. But the chain concept is the heart of the game. It, I think, really works to keep everyone constantly involved in every turn 
So you've really gotten past the problem that some of the deck building games have of when you're doing stuff on your turn, you're doing a bunch of things in a row, and everybody else can just kind of ignore that. Right. I mean, there, there have been games of Dominion where it's like, okay, I'm done with my turn. Everybody else is taking a while. I'm going to go get a snack. I'll be back before it's my turn again. Yeah, but in Nightfall, you start off on your turn. You get to play one of your order cards. Every card in your deck that isn't a wound is an order card. And each of those cards has three little moons up in the top left-hand corner. It's got one big moon, and it's got two little moons. Well... Most of them are. Sorry, most of them are. Right, your starters are... The starter cards only have two moons. When you play a card, you then can chain off of your card, but the big moon on your new card has to match one of those little moons on the old card. So they, they chain together, and then when you run out of cards to chain or choose not to chain... Then the player to your left gets to build on the chain, and then the player to his left gets to build on the chain, and then, and, and so on until everyone has had a chance to build on the chain. And then you go down, it's first in, last out, so or last in, first out, I guess is the better way of saying it. And so the last card that they put on there then resolves. Most of the cards have a chain effect, and that just happens when you play them off the chain. Some of them have a kicker, which gives an enhanced effect if you've not only chained, but you've chained your card back to a particular color of card. Action cards happen and then go to your discard pile. Minion cards go into play. Those are the two different kinds of orders. And then you just go on through back down to the original player. Do I leave anything out there, Jay? No, it sounds complete. And then going further back into the turn, what happens once your minions are in play, the very first thing that you do in your turn is combat. All of your minions who are in play have to attack other players. There are not going to be any stalemates. There isn't going to be any stagnation. You can't just sit back on your guys. It's attack, attack, attack. And each minion has some health. They have some power. If your opponent has guys to block with, then they block, and everybody's minions die. If they don't block, then they take damage. When players take damages, they get wounds in their deck, and after your attack, all of your guys die. So it's you just don't have the opportunity to build a bunch of guys up on your board, and you really need the guys to die, because then they go back into your deck, otherwise you'd quickly thin all the minions out of your deck as they built up on the board. Right. And you could get into the classic deck building deck building game problem of I've got just enough cards left on my deck that I'm playing through I'm playing the same turn over and over again. I actually like that there are very few ways to get rid of cards out pull purge them out of your deck other than the starting cards such that you don't have that problem. I mean, I think every other deck building game I've played in there's some combo you, you can pull off that if you can pull it off, you can end up doing that. If you have so much card draw and card filter and removing from the game that each turn is more or less the same, where you just play your entire deck each turn. You're definitely not going to do that with Nightfall 
I don't think the game of Nightfall lasts long enough to well, have your deck get to that size. We played all of our games with four players. I think three to four players looks like it would be the sweet spot for this, although it can be played with two or five. Five would probably be okay, though it's starting to get a little bit more. You're, you'd start to run out of cards between players' turns. With two players, I think that you would run into problems where if you just beat the other player up really quickly, their deck gets clogged full of wounds. And Well, and also just that it becomes a lot harder to play cards. Uh, to chain anything. Yeah, to chain anything, to chain more than two or three deep. But as far as thinning your deck out goes, the starter deck cards automatically thin their de- your deck out. So while you don't have a long-term... You know, your deck just gets full of a series of cards that are just more cards and more cards and playing the same thing over and over. You do relatively quickly get into a situation where most of the cards that you have in your hand and that you are using each turn are these cards that you have added into your deck and are not just the cards that you started with. You're not spending the first six or seven turns of the game where most of your hand is still coppers or estates. Right, I I like that too. I mean, as you said, the game is faster than those other games. Part of that is because it is jumping out those first few turns where all you've got is coppers. Now, I do think that it might take a little bit longer to get entirely comfortable with the game, the way that the chaining mechanic works and how you want to have this color moon combined with that color means that, at least for me, I couldn't just sit down, look at the array of cards once, and say, okay, this card is the best, I want to get this card. I had to think about what cards do I already have in my deck, how do they chain with these cards, how do they chain with the cards that the player to my right has bought a lot of. Right, I mean, uh, it was like midway through the first game before I fully got it that I had not been paying enough attention to that, so I was really only playing one or two cards because I would play, okay, this is the card I I start with, I can play this card off of that, and then I can't play any of the others off of that one, I have no chaining going. So in the second game that we played, I was much more cognizant of that, and I was able to play out my hand most of the time because I was paying attention to the chain. So I think that is one of the things that you have to play with and figure out how the chain works. Yeah, and of course we have still left out a couple of important things about how the game works. The end of your turn, if you have less than five cards in your hand, you draw up to five. It is technically possible to end your turn with more cards than that, and you could just sit there with a bunch of cards in your hand. Once per turn... After you've drawn up to five, you can dump all of the wounds out of your hand and then draw twice that many cards. So to some extent, you can mitigate having some number of wounds early on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of nice to have just a, like two or three wounds early on because you'll often get a wound and now you've got a six-card hand instead of a five. But once you get past that, you do get into the problem of you get wounds, you discard, you get more wounds, so now they're worthless. <laughs> yeah, and you discard the wounds first, and then you draw the cards. So if you have a very small deck, you can discard the wounds, and then in order to draw the cards, you have to shuffle those wounds 
back in. I think out of everything, that was the one thing that felt a little vexing. And it's not like there's any way you could fix it, as I, I discard my wounds, and then because the wounds are all I have left in my deck, I have to just draw the exact same wounds again. Right. There's also then the start of the game. Oh, and I guess we should say the game ends when all of the wounds are gone. There are ten wounds in the wound pile per player. Whoever has the fewest wounds in their deck at the end of the game wins. They're like anti-victory points. But the other thing that sets Nightfall apart a lot from other deck-building games beyond just the very combat-aggressive-focused nature of the game is the setup. This is not the usual, okay, here are 8 cards, 10 cards, 12 cards, or stacks of cards out in a pile in the middle of the table, and everybody can just get whatever they want. There's a drafting mechanic at the start of the game where you take, say, there were four players, you take four cards, and out of those four cards, you get to pick a card, and that card is yours. It is a stack that's out there to be bought in the game, but you're the only player who can buy those cards. And then you pass the rest of the cards to the player to your left, you get the pass from the player to your right, and now you're looking at three cards, and you again pick one of those cards. It is a second card that only you can buy. Then you pass the next two cards on, and you choose one more card, and that card... Everyone can buy. Everyone can buy, but you get to choose, so... What I often did, and I don't know what uh, you were doing with that third card, was I really wanted to look at, okay, what are the really good cards, hopefully, that I got with my first two picks from my private archive? What out of these other cards is something that combos well, that chains well, off of the cards that I've got in my private archives? And then you fill out the commons or the cards that everybody can use and then you fill the rest of those out randomly. Exactly how many random ones there will be will depend on how many players you're using, or players you're playing with. Right. I think that is is a hugely interesting strategic move. I mean, just because each player has their own different card pool while sharing a certain amount, I mean, I'm playing a very different game from you. I mean, my first game... I had in my private stack a card that does damage to everybody. And so that was a very different game than the second game where my private stack included a guy that made everything cheaper. Yeah, just having exclusive access to certain effects can be helpful. And there definitely did still seem to be some cards that were just better than other cards, Yeah, I, I think. Now, what did you think about the materials of the game. I mean, the cards seemed like they were a solid quality. I like the fact yeah. that the the draft cards, which are kind of the randomizers of Nightfall, have a slightly different back. I mean, it's not that different, but it's different enough that you can immediately tell that they should this not the be in card. the deck. Right. You don't accidentally shuffle them in with the rest. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a... a I mean, we were playing with the demo version, so I can't make a complete judgment on what the retail package looks like, but I thought the demo version of I mean, it was good quality cards. Everything looked pretty nice. I mean, I'm definitely thinking about purchasing one when it gets released. Strange Assembly did receive a review copy 
of Nightfall. I guess this will serve as our disclaimer that, you know, note that uh, we received promotional consideration in the form of a review copy. There's your warning. The cards are the same. The rule book is the same. But the packaging that we got is about half the size. And so it holds all of these cards, but it doesn't actually hold the rule book. The real game will. We also can't comment on what the dividers look like. There are, are dividers for Nightfall like there are now for Thunderstone to help you sort your box. They have the same kind of box that Thunderstone has where you'll be able to put later expansions easily into the same box. Uh, we didn't get that. We know what that is, how that works basically from Thunderstone. It works very well in Thunderstone. I don't know why it wouldn't work very well in Nightfall. Uh, I mentioned the rule book. The rule book seems very good. It was very straightforward. We didn't really have any confusion come up. Anytime we weren't sure exactly what the resolution was, we were immediately able to go into the rule book and quickly find out exactly what it was that we needed to do. We didn't have to have any rules discussions or rules arguments, which was was very nice. Right. The one thing now, we've only played with this a little bit, but the cards are very, very black, especially the wound cards. The backs are all black. They have black borders on the front. The wound cards are almost all black on the front. If you are the sort of person who would consider sleeving up a deck-building game, I'd probably do that with Nightfall, just because black, in experience from other card games, does tend to show nicks and dings a little bit more. So you you might want to think about that. Or I don't know what you think of bothering to put sleeves on deck-building games, Jay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm... I feel like you're going to be shuffling it a lot. It's better to get the wear and tear on the sleeves than the cards. Yeah. Art-wise, I rather liked the art. Uh, I personally am more of a fan of the vampire milieu than the werewolf milieu, so unsurprisingly, I tend to like the vampire art, especially good old Charlotte Reyes, the card draw (laughs) girl from the starter deck but you know you've got a lot of nice action shots of werewolves and hunters on the various action cards it all seemed very thematic I don't remember seeing any art that I looked at and went oh god what's that doing in here which can come up any time that you've got an initial launch of a product and you have concerns about how much you can afford to pay the artists and maybe the quality doesn't all end up that great. I I didn't see anything that was a problem like that in Nightfall. Right, I mean there wasn't, even without going into quality, there wasn't anything that was just stylistically or thematically a sore thumb from everything else. I mean, even at high quality you can have that. I mean, there's certainly Five Rings cards we have that it's certainly a nice piece of art, but it's so different from all the rest of me rest of these that it looks kind of off. I mean, there, there wasn't really anything like that in here. So I think that all of us had fun playing Nightfall. I think it's certainly something that we plan to play again. Uh, yes. I think it's 
definitely something that, although Trevor was not involved in this playtesting session, and he's our player who's a big opponent of deck-building games, I think that it completely solves all of his issues with deck-building games. Uh, with that said, if what attracts you to deck-building games is that you just get to sit, sit there and fiddle with your deck, which is certainly, I mean, it's something that I enjoy doing. I mean, I enjoy playing Dominion, but this is a very different feel from that. So if you are not interested in a game that involves lots of, you know, hostile player interaction, this is probably not the sort of game you're going to jump for. But other than that, uh, I think it's something that's worth checking out. I definitely felt like in in Dominion, you you have the point in the game where you're like, okay, that guy's winning, I'm done with the game. Whereas in this, you have the point where it's like, okay, that guy's starting to take the lead, let's all dogpile him. So you you never have the, okay, it's over, but we got to keep going until it's officially over. Yeah, and you can actually interact with other players without just gumming things up. That's one of the hazards... Right. I think of trying to add player interaction into some of the inherently designed to be less interactive games is that when there is interaction, it tends to be in the form of just slowing everything down by everybody discards cards out of their hand or, or even worse, everybody just puts their worst cards on top of their deck. So their next hand is even slow. Come, yeah. This, up the, works. the way the wound mechanics works. I mean, you are, to some extent, gumming things up, but the wounds kind of have a built-in way of not making that too much of a hazard, at, at least at first. Right. Well, and, and also just going towards victory is gumming up the works. I mean, that's the wrong way to phrase that. But, I mean, in, in the other games, to do the interaction, you're slowing the game down, whereas... Here, you're actually bringing the game to the to an end by, yeah. by hurting yeah. the other player. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I, th I think we've said enough. All right. This has been a Strange Assembly audio review. We hoped you like it. If you did, you can visit us at strangeassembly.com. You can follow through to our forums. You can subscribe to our RSS feed. If you want to know when... We've updated the blog on the main page. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. You can also email me and Jay at chris at strangeassembly.com or jay at strangeassembly.com, depending on who it was you wanted to get a hold of. So Trevor at strangeassembly.com. Send your hate mail there. Because he had nothing to do with this, so that's actually a very good place to send your hate mail. Well, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson. This is Strange Assembly.